from the city of St. Louis, you're listening to the Don't Push Pause podcast with your hosts, Justin Johnson and Lindsay Reber. Welcome again to the podcast for our third official episode. Um, if you've uh, just joined us for the first time, I'll just run through this real quick. Every podcast, we pick one movie that we especially really enjoy. Uh, we'll discuss that for a little bit. And then we also have a segment, which we like to call Pick of the Week, where we each pick a film uh, that in some way relates to the main movie that we're doing for discussion. And we usually keep that pretty short. Those are usually movies we don't necessarily love, but we feel deserve a little bit of attention. And then we also have a segment called The Murray Moment, where uh, I never know what Lindsay's going to do, but she'll bring a story or trivia or something about uh, Mr. Bill Murray. And sometimes it relates to our main movie topic, or most of the times. Try to. So uh, that should be fun. So I'm looking forward to this episode. All right. So the movie we chose for this podcast is Reality Bites, a 1994 film uh, directed by Ben Stiller. And His it's first feature, right? First feature, yeah. And one of those, one of these movies that always makes those top ten list of the Generation X cultural zeitgeist uh, movies that you know were on the radar. Definitely important for for its time. Absolutely. And then uh, after that. We're going to get into our pick of the week. And what did you pick uh, for this week's movie? I decided on Romeo and Michelle's High School Reunion from oh. 1997. Okay. And um, Justin, I think, um, what route did you go? I went for uh, Cable Guy. Cable uh, Guy. Ben Stiller's second uh, feature in a really criminally underrated movie, in my opinion. Agreed. Completely um, agreed. Oh, yeah. My, my connection to Reality Bites is, of course, Janine Garofalo. Janine Garofalo. I love her in this movie. She kind of steals both movies, really, for me. Yeah. And uh, and then after that, we'll get into our Murray moment. And uh, I don't know what you're going to say for that, so that'll be a nice we'll surprise. See. So this was a movie we... We sort of decided to choose this one because we had done, so we've done Ed Wood and Lost Boys, and we kind of wanted to go in a different direction. And I think this movie was a good choice in the sense that, like you said earlier, it is important in its place in, in time, film history. Yeah, yeah in time. Um, and also, too, uh, some of the things that we talk about here, discuss about the movie. Uh, namely being the cast this is another one of those movies like in the 90s where there was this ensemble piece and everybody kind of went on to do bigger things they had like one person who was you know a superstar kind of in this and then the this movie kind of helped really escalate the careers of the other films yeah I'd like to talk about Ben we'll talk about Ben Stiller a little bit in relation a lot to this film and this being his first feature but there are a lot of elements it, sort of what he's done in other films mm-hmm. and you can see those beginnings of those in this movie the little touches that he does his yeah. own uh, I guess like you would say his traits director traits yeah so before we get going into our discussion on the movie Lindsay can you give us just a brief summary on what is Reality Bites about of course um, it follows Reality Bites follows a videographer, documentarian, and her group of friends in Houston. Um, post-college, looking for, looking to find themselves, love, and their place in the world, really. And is in a way, it's, would you say, it's not a plotless movie, but it is a very loose plot. Yeah, it's definitely not aimless, but... I think it really captures the, the slackerness in a lot of ways that I, I think isn't necessarily particular to like the 90s. Uh, I think it's just kind of particular to that age range in general. But in the 90s, it was it was popularized, I would say. That's a good point. Well, uh, before we get into the discussion, uh, we'll play a little clip from Reality Bites here and then... Uh 
we'll talk about it. All right. Mom, I need to talk to you about a loan. Is it for drugs? No. No, it's not for drugs. I was... I lost my job. But you shouldn't have any trouble finding another job, sugar booger. No, see, I tried. I applied for every single opening in my field, but there's just... there's nothing right now. Hmm. Well, then I hate to say it, but times are hard. You're just gonna have to swallow your pride. Why don't you get a job at Burgerama? They'll hire you. My lord, I saw on the TV, they had this little retarded boy working the cash register. Because I'm not retarded, Mom. I was valedictorian of my university. Well, you don't have to put that down on your application. So I wanted to get into uh, Ben Stiller and uh, how this was his first film. But before we get into Ben Stiller, I wanted to talk a little bit about the writer Helen Childress. Um, this was her first script and her only script only. that she's produced. And um, this was a film she went to USC film school and uh, was in touch with a producer who wanted her to do a movie about people in their 20s. And she was 19 or 20 at the time. So she did what a lot of, I think, smart writers do, and that's write what you know. So mm -hmm. she wrote about her experiences of her and her friends in college and I believe she was like 22 or 23 when the movie went into production. She worked on the script for about three years. I think she did something like 70 drafts. Yeah, 70 drafts. And uh, the producer that was looking for a script of a movie about someone in their 20s, mm -hmm. I think they originally were referring to it as a Baby Buster script, as a play on the baby boom uh, generation. That just sounds bad. It does, Baby really Busters. Bad. So anyway, she writes his script. It gets the attention of uh, Ben Stiller, and Ben Stiller came aboard and you know helped her flesh out some more things. And that was right around his. Uh, I believe it was after the Ben Stiller show, right? It had started uh, after the Ben Stiller show, mm -hmm. and the Ben Stiller show was kind of a short-lived, short-lived uh, but he, failure. He, he but he had he, some clout yeah. behind him, and uh, I think the. There's parts of this movie that definitely feel written. They're written by like a very young person. But I do think that a lot of it feels so real because you can tell. I mean, she based a lot of this stuff off of uh, real events. Like her friend uh, did steal a candy bar, candy bar from a newsstand and get fired. And um, it feels incredibly real that all of these instances. There, there, I don't think there's one instance in the movie where I ever feel that it didn't actually happen. And whether that's true or not, uh, she's probably the only one that knows that. But it it feels very honest. Yeah, and I I um I was listening to the uh, the there's a commentary on the DVD with Ben Stiller and Helen Childress, and there's times where she talks about uh, some of the fights that Ethan Hawke and Winona Ryder get into. She mm -hmm. they make her kind of squirmy now because she was trying to make it sort of poetry uh, with words, but yeah. I, I, <laughs> but I do you think can see that I think uh, there is, but there's something about it too that um, you know. Anytime you see a f fights in the movie, it's always people shouting. And as far as like a relationship, the tug of war, jealousy. Mm -hmm. um, I like him. I don't like him. I like her. I don't like her. Whatever um, is handled, I fairly tastefully in this. I don't. And I think it's consistent too, and it feels real to these characters, so it doesn't ever feel out of place or. Like it, uh, unreal. Like it feels like Ethan Hawke is kind of this. Um, what's the word? Um, he's kind of a scumbag in this. Well, he's kind of a scumbag, yeah. but yes, but like very philosophical. Yeah. And deep. Pseudo intellectual. Yeah. So so these interactions or fights between um, he and Winona Ryder's character, um, it feels it feels real to those characters. I can see the the poetic aspect that yeah. she was going for, but I I do I do think it's I think this is the reason why this is a movie that had become if you want to say cultural zeitgeist a movie that is part of that is because it it was written by someone who was of that age 
who was scared about getting out of college in yeah. the 90s and what the future was going to bring. It does feel real and it also feels, yeah, that sort of stumbling around trying to figure out yeah. uh, who you are, what you're going to do and how there's this society is pushing this sort of idea of like what you should be. And I think the characters display both the, they, the there's a, the script I think sh- shows both sides of that. Like Ben Stiller's character shows the, w- what you should be as an adult and, the Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke are like the, there's time to figure that out what you should do. I also can really identify with the idea. And I think a lot of people can, um, with Helen Childers looking back on this now kind of cringing, but it doesn't mean that it wasn't good or wasn't valid at the time. It's just like the same thing as going back and looking at a diary really and going, Oh my God, that's who I was. Oh, this is a movie that is tinged with nostalgia for me. Uh, this was a movie I watched a lot in high school and I probably in high school thought I not probably in high school. I did think that Ethan Hawke was the cool guy <laughs> and, Such a and jerk. Ben Stiller, you know, just sort of this, this sort of, you know, a hole yeah. scumbag. And now when I watch the movie, uh, God, Ethan Hawke is pretty annoying. Um, ben Stiller's pretty ben annoying too. Ben Stiller's also very annoying. So it is a movie that they they, they it's it's a borderline of like mm-hmm. can you can you stand these characters? In I think now that, the, that there's some time has passed, um, this movie is uh, the strength of Janine Garofalo and Winona Ryder. They really make the movie yeah. shine now. Like maybe that that wasn't something I saw when I was younger, but now when I watch it, the most pleasant parts of the movie are their characters and when they're talking on screen, it's the movie really kind of takes off for me. I couldn't agree more. Um, I think Janine Garofalo completely steals this movie. Well, Winona Ryder is is fabulous in it. I mean, she's Winona Ryder, she's great. Um, but Janine Garofalo for me is is the is actually kind of the best character, I think, in general. Um, she feels like the most honest. She's trying to get, you know, her life together. And and also still being still being kind of the person that she is at, at heart. You know, she's still listening. I don't think it was Abba, but she's like still got posters on her wall and still is like that uh, 90s kid and still the baby bangs like everything she's still right. very much herself but she's you know manager at the gap too yeah she's getting it together she's taking pride in her work yeah i think they're they're both what to look for in this movie if you're revisiting it and we'll we'll, we'll come uh, we'll talk more about uh the cast um sure in a little bit here um but uh yeah back to helen childress i, I just think and it's interesting to me that that was this is the only film that she's made. And when I was listening to the uh, commentary, mm-hmm. the commentary I believe was recorded about ten years after the release of this film. So it was two thousand four when they did the commentary, and she didn't really sound. I mean, she was pretty open, like, "Yeah, this is it. This is what I did. My only movie uh, that I wrote." She was very heavily involved. She was on the set the entire time that they were filming and, and didn't worked ben, very closely with Ben Stiller. He, he changed it quite a bit, right? Uh, he did change it, yeah. Originally, I believe, in the script, Ben Stiller's character was a 35-year-old consultant for a company of some sort that mm-hmm. was like traveling overseas. And when he decided to portray that character, he changed it to a 27-year-old producer for like an MTV type show. Um, that would, and yeah. he, he sort of, I think his involvement was the one that he created the, helped create the love triangle between Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke, and himself. I think also to kind of bounce off of that, the, the characters um, in this friendship circle um, were, were more fleshed out in Helen Childress's version. Um, but in order to, I think Ben Stiller, if, if I remember correctly, kind of, in order to make the movie work and make the love triangle aspect happen, there needed to be more focus on the Winona Ryder, Ethan Hawke um, relationship as well as the Ben Stiller and Winona Ryder connection. And then the friends became not necessarily unimportant because they're, they, for me, 
it's the the friendship circle is what makes this movie honestly yeah i agree um, yeah. and and i i would have loved to have seen their stories flushed out more but i get i, I, I completely get why you're gonna do that in order to make this movie work yeah and, and i think for the most part it does work mm-hmm. um i do think if you had a movie that uh, really got hung up on the Ethan Hawke, Winona Ryder character that would have gotten old a little bit. Yeah, it doesn't. Without having some, something. Something else. Something else, something else to go to. Um, so I think Ben Stiller's involvement, I mean, he really helped shape the script. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do, I can see early on his his signature for the film. Uh, Tell doing, me more about that. I'm curious. I don't. I don't think I've really ever thought about Ben Stiller's aesthetic so Ben Stiller's aesthetic to me is uh it's a very I think because he grew up in you know he grew up with a showbiz family sure Uh, he always his movies always show a side of how uh, media and society merge you know our obsession with television our obsession with celebrity yeah um all of his films I think display a little bit of that uh, the films that he's directed or mm-hmm. have written, certainly his show that he did, really, really, yeah, uh, it, was very it did. heavily it did. Uh, a lot of parody. And I think that in reality, by its the parody of MTV, uh, where MTV was going, because and I always feel this. I always feel uh, a a lot of people dislike Ben Stiller, and I t- I totally get that. I understand he is very abrasive, and his humor can be a little bit spiteful um okay because he is kind of poking and prodding but i but i i think that ben stiller's humor has always been a little ahead of its time and i feel like everything that ben stiller's done you you watch it 10 years later and you're like oh man this is like was so fresh nobody was doing that i can really see that with your pick of the week and and i feel that like reality bites it's always his movies, these little clips that he does, like where she's the, they have the, his in your face MTV show where, uh, it It is very clearly ripping off MTV, like meaning to, in in not a polite way. But I think what his, what the humor that he brings, his style that he brings to the movie is his take on how this guy who's out of touch with young people, um, is the one who's making decisions on the, on what, is tasteful what what is in for young people who are 10 years younger than him and how out of touch that is and sort of this idea of like there's these executives that are making these decisions on here's what should be hot here's what the young kids should be listening to and you know that's not what reality bites is about but i think that that's his signature that he brings to it his Mm -hmm. style of humor and uh his satire that he brings and there's a there's a few moments in that, and certainly at the end, the very end of the movie, where he makes his version of Lelena's film, uh, and it's almost like the real world. I mean, it's very it, much it's very this melodramatic uh, style. And I think that that was something. And when you watch it now, there's just been so many things that have come out. That, I mean, reality TV has been a thing for 20 years now, but sure. 1994. I mean, that was pretty fresh, and that he already had the foresight to like mock that before it even had become something huge. I mean, he was mocking it before every, before it was something anyone even really thought about. The real world was just coming out. Yeah. They had to to change the name of of the movie because the real world came out. Exactly. At the same time. Yeah. And uh, I think Ben Stiller's always had his, he's always been, had his finger on the pulse of, of that kind of satire. I think that it was interesting that this was a script that he chose because there are a lot of aspects about this movie that are just a simple relationship film. Mm-hmm. But I think his added influence brings it into another There's so much level. commentary. Yeah. yeah. Um, and also, too, like the show that she works for, the guy that, you know, someone like Lelaine is a true artist. You know, she's trying to get to something that's real and, and she Lelaine wor- is the main Winona Ryder character. Yeah, the Winona Ryder character, Lelaine. And, and she's trying to do something that's real. She's making this documentary about her friends. She's trying to tap into something that's real. And this, I think Ben Stiller's influence is this idea of like, there are, you know, 
if you can't be an artist and make it, you have to, you know, that with the satirizing idea of like, you have to sell out or you have to turn, you have to make it hip and entertaining. Otherwise people don't want to watch real people's lives. So I do like this idea that there's like this movie within the movie. And I do like, um, a lot of, I think his influence that he did was doing those video diaries and uh-huh. getting them to shoot those on video and uh, Winona writers, Winona writers character. Uh, we see these full on video diaries that she's filming of her friends. And to me, a lot of times those are the most uh, compelling. emotional, compelling yeah. moments of the film and where you're really getting into the heart of the characters. Agreed. So I think that that's where, you know, have a, you have a director that's, it maybe doesn't come across but is really like working on a different level, um, really putting those things in and telling, you know, two parallel stories. And I think he does that in quite a few of his films. Ben Stiller is a very smart and um, insightful filmmaker. I, I think that he's no more for his acting, but most of the films that he's directed, they have that edge, they have that bite. Um, mm-hmm. And this is this movie's interesting to me because you do see that very early on that style um that i think that he it still feels a little raw yeah it's real raw but you 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 see a little like glimmer of it and you know then you fast forward to a movie like tropic thunder which is i don't know how people feel about that movie but i really like that movie. that to me is a movie that uh i read an article about a filmmaker who was going to make a war film and halted production he saw Tropic Thunder and he said, no one will take a war film serious because Ben Stiller was able to <laughs> slice so deeply into the the behind the scenes ridiculousness of like trying to make such a serious, seriously really? toned film. Yeah. And uh, I rewatched the movie after, not to get off topic, but rewatched Tropic Thunder after uh, reading the interview and uh, man it, I mean it's pretty amazing it's great uh, like the, the commentary in that movie throughout the entire thing is is fabulous yeah, yeah. and I and again I think um, if if you if you haven't seen the Ben Stiller show uh, most of that stuff is on YouTube and it, a lot of it seems dated now but if you uh, can get past that. Yeah, if you can get past that, I mean, some of the stuff that, that some of the parodies he does, like the the U two stuff that he did with the uh, super self righteous Bono parody that he does. <laughs> uh, there's just a lot of stuff in there that I think no one was really messing with, like sketch comedy wise. And you know, I can see why that show failed, but it, I'm, I'm it, it's that's why it's interesting to me. It's fascinating to me that Ben Stiller like went from the sketch comedy to reality mm-hmm. bites, but then he was able to mix some of that into uh, this film and that, that satire, that sort of like sublime humor, I guess you would yeah. call it. Yeah. Thank you for that. I, uh, your insight actually makes me think of like uh, the things that I've seen of his, but it hadn't really put that all of that together, but that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, ben Stiller's a real interesting, aesthetic. I mean, he's an interesting filmmaker in, uh, writer actor to me I, I think that yeah he just he he functions on this different level um in again I think that reality bites could have been this really simplistic film but there's these layers in there uh that in there and again they're not they're not something that's just like banging you over the head I mean they're there you see them yeah you maybe see them, maybe you don't but I wonder if this movie would be as good if it was directed by somebody who just was out to make a straight sort of relation, 20-something relationship no, film. I, I think, and we'll probably go into this a little bit more later, but it, it seems it, it seems like it was very much a group effort in order to make this this whole thing happen. And I think Ben Stiller was a important part of that. I think it would be completely different had he not been involved. Well, uh, we'll go into a uh, a clip of Ben Stiller in Reality Bites, and then uh, when we come back, we'll get into a little bit of the cast and and talk about the movie a little bit more. I'm gonna change. No, don't change, and don't go thinking for yourself either, Lainey. Hey, what is your glitch, huh? My glitch? You know what? 
We're already no, 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 this Come is, on. You know, this, really this guy, you're, you know, you've got like this whole like thing with the world, don't you, this huh? Really Boy, stupid, no, no, that's okay? great. This that's really, really wonderful. But guess what? I'm a human being, okay? We're human beings, people, okay? You know, we're not like uh, uh, intelligence, you know, quotations or whatever. Just ignore him. No. Done. So, uh, wanted to talk. This, this is much like how when we uh, did the Lost Boys movie, uh, it's an ensemble piece. Uh, really with Ed Wood too, an ensemble piece mm -hmm. and, and uh, this movie very much so I think that it it functions the best when you have the three or four characters together uh, playing off of each other um, and uh, you mentioned earlier before Janine Garofalo I think maybe the most uh, relatable character uh, in the film I think Relatable, yes, and I think the most grounded uh, out of all of them. I mean, everybody's kind of searching for themselves, um, whether whether it be we kind of talked about what each um, each character is kind of going through, and you you learn this through the testimonials, um, you know, through Lelena's video, documentary, video diaries, video diaries. Um, yeah, not testimonials, um, but we we learn what they're going through. And it it seems like like we've got Vicky, the Janine Garofalo character, who is the most put together professionally, and she's happy with where she is in life, and she's kind of she's kind of proud of herself, and she's almost kind of like, hey, I really didn't, I'm really kind of stoked about this actually. I'm really proud of how look at look at this art, how I'm folding this shirt. It's beautiful, right? And you know we we find out about the we'll say the reality of, of what she's actually going through. We see numerous times how she's, um, you know, pretty promiscuous and, and keeping a diary of, of all the people that she sleeps with. The reality of that is that in the back of her mind, she's totally concerned with, with getting HIV or AIDS. Um, and this was something that in the early 90s was a very hot button issue I mean of course starting much many years before that but um, certainly in the 90s and then you know we we can move on to like um, Ethan Hawke's character um, equally as important but I would say the exact opposite of Janine Garofalo's character that being like the ultimate slacker type um, the artist the philosopher um, but you know what do we find out about him yeah, the, when this is something going back to this is a movie where uh, the characters are surface level a little bit, and then when mm -hmm. they they show their video diaries as Lelena Winona Ryder's characters filming them, we get to see these snippets of what she's recorded. Yeah, and Ethan Hawke, yeah, his character uh, is. It, he's pretty. It's uh, he's 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 a, he's he, a douchebag. He, yeah, he's high. He's, he's annoying. He's he he's self righteous, uh, and just doesn't. He just thinks everybody else is being completely ridiculous for caring about anything or or striving for success and trying to be good at something. But then in his video diary later on, we find out his dad is dying of cancer, and his dad put in did what you're supposed to do work for a company and have a career and uh and look what he's been left with yeah and he, you know and he's and, and what, what does he have to show for it and so you kind of see this anger and angst uh is perpetrated by mm -hmm. what he's going through with his father and and it makes sense uh it it still doesn't make his character i think any less uh, unlikable no but at the same time like, i do oh, okay i get it but i do like that these video diaries that they do with each character adds additional depth in, in, in not in a forced way either. I think it's very, it seems very natural. Everything that they're saying in these diaries, again, it's one of these movies. It's not this particularly profound film. It's not this particularly super insightful movie, but I do think that it does carry some weight in that context of 
the, the era of the 90s and I do think that it, there are there it does t- top tackle some subjects that other films in the 90s really weren't I think the 90s were um it was a pretty mainstream movie to like talk about HIV and AIDS yeah absolutely yeah especially from a non-gay perspective actually in this because it had been stigmatized as a gay disease but in reality bites actually the gay character um this was not coming from the gay character this was this was coming from the Jeanine Garofalo character um this is I I felt like um because it was I mean it was an epidemic or is an epidemic and at the time there was so much hysteria around it and I think how the Janine Garofalo character processes it I the, the scene where she's waiting in the STD clinic and um, always gets me it's like only 15 seconds but just like her reaction to like being in the waiting room and hearing her name called but being so much in her head right. thinking about the weight of it um, and then talking later to Lilena about it um, you know, it's it, it, it was kind of it, it was just really nice, like how the movie handled it. Um, yeah, I think that that's why it's you know I think that's one of the reasons why it's recognized, and I, I do think it's it's one of the reasons why I think it's a film that you know should be viewed and and is interesting to watch. And I I, I do think too, it's aged well. It doesn't feel as dated as you would think a movie would be. That's you know, kind of got that stamped. This is the '90s. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I, I, I actually don't even think through fashion it really feels that way either. Um, and I'm not positive about this, but I, I, I do think it was one of the first um, to be to reference a lot of pop culture within it. And I think that that was something that became that became popular or became um, a way of a way of talking about how you feel through pop culture or um, re- referencing referencing things um, that were active in media, either present or in the past. Um, I don't feel like that was a super popular thing in movies before like the early 90s. Yeah, I agree. So we should probably wrap up our talk here on Reality Bites. Uh, just final thought that, yeah, it is... It- <laughs> It's it's funny just how different I view it is is watching it being older now and how um yeah just uh much I do not like Ethan Hawke or Ben Stiller's character <laughs> they kind of grate on my nerves but I still enjoy the film I still enjoy it quite a bit I have to say that Ben Stiller as much as I respect him as an actor director just a creative mind um pretty much his role in this movie is why it's really hard for me to watch him in anything. Um, it's not because I don't think he's talented or that he's a good actor. It's because I really friggin' hate his character so yeah. much. Um, <laughs> that being said, um, I kind of, this movie holds up more than I even would have expected it to. When I was younger and first saw this movie for the first time, I thought not, not really taking it in. I thought, Everybody was really cool. Um, yeah. I w- felt like, in a lot of ways, I kind of wanted to be the Winona Ryder character. Um, I never thought I was cool enough to be the Jeanine Garofalo character, which is ironic because, like, she's actually, like, she doesn't know that she's cool. She's so cool, she right. doesn't know that she's cool. Yeah. Um, but I, I, I think, in a, in a lot of ways... Um, this movie has gotten better over time. Yeah, it's aged well. Mm-hmm. Um, so moving on to our pick of the week segment. Uh, again, these are movies that uh, we try to, each each time we do a podcast, each of us picks a movie and uh, tries to have that movie relate to our main movie of discussion. Uh, a lot of times these aren't movies that, well, sometimes they're ones we love, sometimes they're oh. ones that we appreciate. But either way, uh, Lindsay, what is your pick of the week? Mine, the, mine this week is one of my most favorite um, movies from the 90s, Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion. Um, it's officially 20 years old as of wow. 1997. You know, and it always kind of surprises me that I hear, or when I hear that someone hasn't seen it, 
and the older that I get, I find that the more I hear that. Um, it stars Mira Sorvino, Lisa Kudrow, and our connection to reality by Janine Garofalo, um, who is easily my most favorite character in the movie, um, as she is in Reality Bites, as I've already said like a thousand times already. Um, it follows uh, two high school best friends as they're adults. Um, they reminisce and flash back to the 80s and then prepare to road trip to their 10-year high school reunion. Um, no matter who you are, if you, I, I mean, I think if you attended any form of organized public or private education, you probably have an opinion on the experience of being in high school, good or bad. Uh, now, Romy and Michelle were independent thinkers in high school. They didn't really fit into any preconceived social group. Um, we're always best friends and had the best time together. Um, so in the movie, we catch up with them in their 20s. Um, living pretty normal lives, not thinking they're unsatisfied until the pressure of the reunion hits. It's a pretty positive message all throughout the movie. Uh, empowering for women encourages independent thinking, creativity, and really um, reinforces how important the bond of friendship can be. Um, I'm also a big sucker for cheesy flashback scenes and amazing dance sequences, and Romeo and Michelle really do the 80s justice. Um, with this, I feel like, and uh, the, the trio dance scene with our headliners and Alan coming to Cindy Lauper's Time After Time is kind of pure movie gold, in my opinion. Um, memorable and hilarious one-liners played uh, by actors who really know how to make comedy work. Um, I think all throughout this movie, it's just kind of littered with it. Um, although this movie can be presented as, as something that's superficial, I think that the underlying meaning, heart, and compassion behind it um, always really tugs at my emotions. It definitely helped me get through high school, uh, the kind of the darkest, darkest years of high school, believing that, you know, hey man, don't buy into people making fun of you because you're actually pretty cool and there's no one else like you, so just deal with it and you'll make it through. Um, our stars are also made to feel like they're back in high school um, as they're adults in this movie, um, but find that they're even cooler than they were back in high school. This movie um, is really a must for any person who ever felt, you know, quote, on the outside in school, in my opinion. Um, so, Justin, you kind of mentioned the other day that this could be considered a cult movie at this point. Sure. Yeah, and the more I think about it, I think you're totally right. I think it's timeless, and um, the humor um, is always going to ho hold up, and I think it's a story that's just really relatable. It's a movie I don't really hear too many people talk about. It's, it's, I think it's a good one that you picked for a movie that uh, yeah. is worth seeking out. Well, thanks. Um, uh, I have a... Uh, <clears throat> I haven't seen that movie in a while, um, but I do have a story. The movie is significant oh, yeah? to my life in a way of how I view movies. Really? So when Romeo and Michelle came out, I was a usher at a movie theater. At the end of the movie, you know, you're always standing there like, or at, back then you would stand there with a trash can, hope that people throw their crap <laughs> in your trash can that left it on the Help floors. Help you clean up a little bit. Uh, yeah. yeah, and uh, so there was a guy who... Uh, he was the main janitor for the theaters in the area. Mm -hmm. And so he got into all the movies for free. So I'd see him coming out of movies. Uh, he come, He's coming out of the theater and uh, he, he is like weeping. And wow. um, I was like, oh, is there, you know, I mean, I thought like maybe something. Something happened. Happened. You know, I was like, <laughs> oh, is everything okay? And, and he just said, no, I just, he was like, there's never been a movie that, that, has affected me this way you know he was just like I, I he's like that's how I was you know I was the outcast I was the Aww. one that uh and he said that when they you know he and he was just like when I went to my reunion nobody even remembered who I was but he was just like it was nice that well, the that they went back and they dominated uh, yeah and, and uh and it was wild you know just hearing that that was the Aww. first that was my first time of thinking about films and how films affect people in different ways you know there's something for everybody and even the a movie that doesn't relate to me or I mean it sounds so silly to think now because I mean it's so obvious but at the time 
you know, just, it just blew me away. Like, wow, this is a movie. I mean, this movie like affected this guy in the same way, like citizen Kane affected somebody or like uh, the deer hunter or something, yeah. you know? And yeah. so it really, uh, yeah, it really opened up my mind. And that, I don't know that when I think of Romeo and Michelle, I think of that, uh, story, that moments more than anything, but it's it is really cool that it is a film. It's, it's a, it presents itself as something that it's not, if you know there's first a, there's it, there's a deeper yeah a, a deeper uh, yeah root and multiple like things that are going on uh, in the subtext of yeah. the movie whereas it can be looked at as something completely superficial but it's it's really not but uh yeah that makes me want to check it out again a good pick i'm gonna revisit that one you ever, oh, your picks are always movies i end up watching like a week <laughs> after we do the podcast <laughs> i really love like, yours yours this week um but, why don't you tell us a little bit about right. it? Uh, I'm going to keep this kind of short. Uh, so my, my pick of the week is uh, Cable Guy. I chose it because it was Ben Seller's second film that he directed after Reality Bites. And uh, to me, uh, this is one of my favorite, absolute favorite comedies. I love the, I, I love this movie when it came out. And I, I've watched this movie probably like two dozen times. And I get something out of it each time. I, I think this is one of the more misunderstood movies and i think that it's this is a movie that just deserves some credit and it deserves to be seen uh this is a i think this movie came out on the you know it got made because jim carrey at the time was just on fire i mean he he just became america's new huge thing and he could do anything he wanted and so this was a movie that he chose to do but he played the antithesis of like what everybody was expecting him to do and I think that's why the movie failed so hard and people just didn't want to see Jim Carrey. They couldn't look past him playing an unlikable character. But this movie is just bonkers. It's uh, essentially uh, a guy who his cable goes out and <laughs> he needs his cable fixed. He's just recently broken up with his girlfriend, uh, this character played by Matthew Broderick. And the cable guy is Jim Carrey. And... Uh, we go on to find out that he's not even a cable guy. He's just this guy who's just obsessed and lonely. And he he's was raised on television and he can't, he, he just can't determine or he can't distinguish the difference between reality and what, what the reality of television is presented to us in the movie itself. There's so many, it's again, Ben Stiller's take his satire on, how we view entertainment, what is what is it doing to us? And really so far ahead of its time as far as like where we were going to be with technology. I mean, there's a line in Cable Guy where he says all these things are going to be connected, like media is going to be connected. I mean, this is like pre-social media, pre- uh, It was like 96, uh, right? 96, yeah. And just so many instances in the movie. And then also uh, Ben Stiller has a small role portraying uh, there's this, uh, there's a news that's going on in the background, which is uh, I don't know if anyone remembers the Menendez trial, but how he put, uh, there I, I I could go on I'm forever really just the to scenes of because I forgot about um, that. But that's going on in the background, and it's how uh, obsessed people were, you know, and at, at the time, you know, the OJ OJ Simpson trial, and it was sort of this merging of what's reality, what's entertainment. We're entertained by people's real tragedies. Uh, and there, there's just, there's so much commentary going on with this movie, but I find it, it's extremely entertaining. The cast is insane. I mean, there's just so many great, Jim Carrey, I think one of his best performances, Matthew Broderick is great. Jack Black, just, I, and, I, and I could just quote it all day long. So really, uh, if you haven't seen the movie or if it's one you hated when it came out, I really urge you to like give it a second chance. It is a very dark film, but it is very, very funny. But it, it's a very, it's got a lot to say. But yes, it is. It's very dark, and I and I think that's why it. I mean, it failed at the box office and kind of hurt Jim Carrey's career a little bit there for a second. And, and I, I definitely think it's one of those movies that probably wouldn't get made today, um, just because of its content. It's just that being such a dark comedy. Um, and then lastly, I I think one of the things that is the ending of the movie, which is so funny, is that because uh, you think about now, I mean, where people view how little people are reading books now. Um, this is movies over 20 years old. 
and uh, the ending of the movie is like the cable goes out across this town and this guy's like watching TV and his TV shuts off and he's and it's like the final scene of the movie and he doesn't know what to do. So he like looks over and there's a book on his <laughs> nightstand and he like picks it up and like opens it. And he's like, Oh, well this is kind of pleasant. And there's this, this sort of idea that, uh, you know, there are, there are other forms of entertainment. There are other forms of, uh, of getting information. Um, but it is strange watching the movie now because so, the way technology and information and even like the way uh, news is presented, media is presented, politics are presented, the president is presented. It's, it's kind of crazy. Uh, it's really worth a look. And again, it's, it's, it's a, not to keep going on about Ben Stiller, but I just feel like Ben Stiller was just always ahead of his time in this, just being another huge example of that. Yeah, honestly, Justin, when that movie came out, I, I mean, I was such a big fan of Jim Carrey and I was, I was a baby Jim Carrey and doing impressions and like being a little spaz, just, just like him. And then when that movie came out, um, it was so different and so dark. And the first time I saw it, I did not know what to make of it, but I immediately watched it again and obviously saw the humor in it, but saw how dark that movie is. Um, and really, um, every time that I've watched it since getting older, I've really grown to appreciate the, there's a, there's some deep rooted, uh, themes in this movie and also, um, a lot of intelligence. Yeah. And I, it, it's something that you don't necessarily think of with a movie called, it's called the cable guy. Um, it, it is psychologically twisted yeah. as well, but I, I really enjoy this movie every time I watch it. And there's a lot of instances. Um, there's a lot of memes I've sent to people via yeah. text from this movie. Um, Cause it's, yeah. Jim Carrey does this role incredibly well. It, it just, uh, I, I just, I'll sit my absolute favorite scene is uh, <laughs> uh, Jim Carrey, like Matthew Broderick and Jack Black are best friends, but then, mm-hmm. Jim Carrey sort of like inserts himself into Matthew Broderick's yes. life and uh, Matthew Broderick and his bit. friends are playing basketball and uh, Jim Carrey just shows up and he's like, oh, you guys go to this gym too? <laughs> and then, uh, and they're like, oh, well, we're actually short one player, you know, and so Jim Carrey sort of like forces himself into the game and uh, Matthew Broderick's like, uh, this is Chip, my cable guy. And Jim Carrey's like, yeah, we met on a, we met on a routine in installation but i feel like i've known him my whole life <laughs> and it's just like just so you know and, and then like at jack flax look on his face is like okay, okay well, let's play the game crazy yeah. i i think the way the way that that jim carrey plays the level of insanity in this makes it so believable and and that kind of awkwardness that like you don't know how to respond to that you're just yeah you you accept it because you're like oh my god okay yeah. Wow, just going with this. Yeah, it's 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 kind of an insane, it, it's kind of an insane movie. I mean, it 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 it, it goes pretty far. It does. By um, the end, it it has gone very far. But uh, uh, yeah, I think it's one that uh, I, that movie just it's to me it's it's in my top ten funniest movies that I've ever seen. That was a great pick, Justin. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah, absolutely. Maybe we should do that one for a podcast. Hey, one I'd day. be down. All right. All right, so check out Romy and Michelle's High School Reunion and The Cable Guy uh, as our picks of the week. Definitely worth a viewing. And, of course, our main feature that we've been talking about this podcast, Reality Bites. So uh, move into our final segment here, which uh, is always a favorite of mine because uh, I absolutely have no idea what you're going to say. It's kind of fun. Um, and that's our Murray Nerve moments. Nerve-wracking. Yeah, that's our Murray moments, uh, which we've dubbed it. Uh, we here at Don't Push Pause are huge Bill Murray fans. And, uh, yeah, we just, when we were coming up with the idea for this podcast, we thought it'd be nice to end with something about Bill Murray. And, uh, Lindsay, you're the bigger Bill Murray fan. <laughs> you seem to just have a vast knowledge of just a Bill Murray nerd. more than most people I know. I feel like he's my spirit animal. I yeah. just always have. So, uh, so I always just, this is one of those, this is a segment where I'm just like, take it away. (laughs) Chicks dig me because I rarely wear underwear and when I do, it's usually something unusual. 
I think I need a root canal. I'm sure I need a long, slow root canal. You're gonna confiscate my monkey tree again? Oh, what does that old queen know? She didn't even chill. Okay, this is so scrumptious. Is this hand shot? The flowing robes, the grace, all striking. That was fun. This week I've been really, you know, deep into reality bites. Um, and it got me thinking about how, you know, Bill Murray has always tried to be as real as possible, we'll say. Or at least from what I've always heard or interpreted. It's not like I know the guy. I wish I did. Um, you know, his deadpan demeanor isn't necessarily an act. It's just really how it's always been. And so Reality Bites also made me think about how Billy and Ben Stiller starred in the Royal Tannenbaums together, um, both major players in that film. Um, and then I remembered um, the story about um, how he kept it real for Wes Anderson, who was the Royal Tannenbaum's director, of course. Evidently, and this is very well documented, actor Gene Hackman was a super duper jerk to Wes Anderson, even to the point of like scaring his co-stars Angelica Houston and Gwyneth Paltrow. Um, I, I did not know that. No. No. Um, um, he was kind of a kind of a jerk to Wes Anderson, um, and kind of freaked out, you know, some of the co-stars. Um, so reportedly, Hackman, um, you know, called the director some demeaning names straight to his face, even telling him to quote pull up his pants and act like a man. Needless to say, um, there were some instances that made Wes Anderson feel uncomfortable. Um, and the director even admits to like being scared of him. Like he actually says he was scared of him, but you know, who wasn't scared of Gene Hackman, our man, Billy, of course. Um, Anderson actually had, um, our guy show up to the set, even when, um, Bill wasn't scheduled to shoot a scene, um, to kind of supervise the situation in essence, to kind of protect Anderson from Hackman being a big old meanie. Um, in one instance, um, Anderson recounted that Billy was standing off in the distance um, of a scene that was being shot with Hackman. And then just out of eyesight, um, supervising it all, um, Billy stood there in a cowboy hat, observing everything that was going down. Anderson said that um, he was that Bill Murray was basically the only person that wasn't really afraid of him. And that he felt like he that, you know, Bill had his back. And he said, um, he or Wes Anderson said, you were just there to show solidarity. And I was very touched by that. And when Bill Murray heard this, he said, you know, in true Billy form, he didn't deny anything or he didn't deny being um, Anderson's protector, but instead made fun of the fact that people were scared by Hackman. He went on to say, and this kind of all went down, this whole dialogue went down at a, um, the New York Film Festival um, 10 years after the Royal Tannenbaums came out. Um, they had a whole panel discussion about this. Or, or not this, but like the movie in general and this subject came up. Bill went on to say, you know, the word cocksucker gets thrown around a lot and um, I'm, I'm just going to take that word and throw it right on out of here. Doesn't belong here. That's what we're not, the, we're not talking about that. Not talking, we're not calling Gene that. But I'd hear all these stories about, you know, people saying, Gene threatened to kill me today kill you really you're in the union he can't kill you gene threatened to set us all on fire today and i'd say it's a union shoot he can't set anyone on fire so like dudes keeping it real just appreciate that so keeping it real that's basically our billy reality checking all over the place and keeping it from biting anderson's royal tannenbaums in the ass i would say truly a really great movie um, too. I love that movie. And uh, worth mentioning after hearing, I didn't know this, and yeah. worth mentioning after hearing all that, I mean, Royal Tenenbaums was like Wes Anderson's huge, huge, huge one. Launch yeah. into, you know, popularity. Even and, more uh, than Rushmore. For yeah. Sure. And uh, Bill Murray's gone on to be in a bunch of his movies. And yeah. what was the last movie Gene Hagnon was in? <laughs> you know, he said um, during the making of Royal Tannenbaums that he said to Wes Anderson that this was going to be his last movie for sure. And I'm pretty sure it wasn't. I think he did Man. like one or two after that. But um, um, the, the, the drift that I got from that movie was that um, everyone really didn't really want to talk about 
Gene Hackman's yeah. involvement too much, but that Bill Murray was like chill about it. And that um I I thought it was really cute. I mean maybe cute isn't the right word, but that Wes Anderson was basically like, I need you to protect me, please. Yeah. Just like sweet because Bill Murray is believed in Wes Anderson from you know, uh, you know, I like hearing stories about that because I I always read a lot of stories about directors early on getting pushed around by mm-hmm. actors, and generally these are actors that uh, had big names but have done yeah a a bunch of bad movies, and it's it's nice to hear that uh, that Bill Murray stuck up for him because it's it's a big way to being a director, and yeah. also I'm sure like someone b- being a much younger director and and working with people that you grew up watching has got to be intimidating yeah. just on its own yeah. much less having those people being real big buttholes to you so yeah i i can only imagine how that must have felt being wes anderson um i i can't imagine it not being intimidating and then to have somebody kind of like stick up for you um when you really needed it when you felt bullied like that must have been a pretty great feeling wow well, that makes me uh Appreciate Bill Murray even more. Every episode guy, we do, I guy. just you you come up with something that <laughs> not that you need to sell me on Bill Murray. I know, I know. I mean, he's a we pretty have a great dude. Dang segment named after him, but you know. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, of course. Um, well, that uh, pretty much wraps up our podcast here. Um, I wanted to mention final thoughts on Reality Bites again. Just uh, if you haven't seen it in a while. Check it out if you're uh, currently a fan of Stranger Things, which stars Winona Ryder, uh, and you're not real familiar with Winona Ryder. This is one of her, I think, shining moments. Yeah. Uh, When I was watching Reality Bites, my my roommate came out and she was like, Oh, she's in Stranger Things. And I was like, Uh huh. Yeah, she's, yeah. Yeah, which is. She did a couple things before Stranger Things. Right, yeah. And and I guess, you know, it's interesting because you see the. You know, the next generation is mm-hmm. she'll be known for, you know, stranger things to those people. Just yeah. like when I don't know, when I was watching, uh, I can't think of a good example, but I was going to make some sort of James Garden <laughs> reference with my grandmother, but I couldn't come up with a movie. But, you know, um, something. Uh, no, that, no, I can't. Maverick. But, Maverick. Yeah, but something that, something that, like, you know, was current to me with an actor. Sure. Uh, where I'm seeing it, and it's like, I only know this actor as, like, an old guy. You know, my mm-hmm. grandma's like, oh, he's so old now. You know, he, I think James Garner is a great so, one because I'd be like, I yeah. love him in Maverick. But, but, you know, I mean, that's it's something where it's like, yeah, as, it's, as, as we get older, people, actors are recognized for w- the current thing that they're yeah. doing if it's a hit. Um, and to me, like, when I think Winona Ryder, it, Rally yeah. Bites is, you know, the for one of the first things that pops into my head. Yeah. Well, uh, our next episode, I believe we've pretty stoked about this one. I, I feel like yeah, we've settled so we've, on we've it. settled on doing Fatal Attraction. Pretty stoked. Uh, which I I love that we're doing these sort of we're we're doing sort of like ping ponging. Mm-hmm. Just get, I, know, I I like that jumping all styles. over the place. Yeah. God, so much to talk about with Fatal Attraction. Like the f- the first of the what I feel like is the trilogy of of Michael Douglas victim films. Yeah, uh, my favorite. Yeah, really my favorite the, trilogy. Uh, creating creating the uh, we're, we're delving into the erotic thriller genre. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. The high budgeted <laughs> erotic thriller genre. Uh, so that'll be next episode. So that'll be one that you definitely wanna. Yeah, uh, come Fatal back Attraction. For. I think. Um, is one that has been copied a billion times. Yeah. Um, so I'm really looking forward to talking about yeah. that one. So that's all the time we have for uh, this podcast. Uh, but I just want to take a moment real quickly to say, if you've been listening so far, if you just joined in, thank you so much. Yes, truly, uh, thank you. We try to um, really try to put a lot of work into f- having something that's entertaining to listen to and informative. And if you have any comments or suggestions... Feel free to contact us at don'tpushpausepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram. You can find us at don'tpushpausepodcast. And uh, yeah, thank you so much for listening. And uh, you'll hear from us next time. I'm Justin Johnson. And I'm Lindsay Reaper. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thank you.